Welcome back to DMnastics, the gym for dungeon masters to work out their minds. I'm DM Neil, aka Joke Maniac, and I have an honored co-host. Like always, they're going to do as much work as I do so they get the co-host title. And I'll let them introduce themselves. Hey, I'm Mike Merles. I was the lead designer on 5th edition, and I am currently the creative lead for the Dungeons & Dragons team. Yeah, you may you may have heard his name before. <laughs> so, we are going to tie back to episode number 120, Mega, Mega Dungeons, which, of course... Mike, you were the guest on, and right. I came up with the Diamnastics number 101, Traps, Tricks, and Treasure, because I am a sucker for alliteration. And this essentially is kind of harkening back to what we discussed with that Mega Mega Dungeon, and just getting a lot of ideas and kind of tapping into the collective community that is our forums to get other ideas if we wanted to build a large-scale dungeon to run our players through. I think it's the best term because you never know what's going to happen once you start <laughs> once you start in a mega <laughs> mega dungeon. <laughs> so a little bit more setup is uh, I tossed out a bunch of names, and the one that came to the top after voting was the Caverns of Adamant Death. So I feel like we're doing pretty good there. I mean, Tomb of Annihilation, Caverns of Adamant Death. I think we're we're right on the track. Yeah, that's a pretty imposing name. <laughs> And it, get, it does get really dark with some of these ideas here on the forums. <laughs> so we can jump right into that. Um, if you have something to highlight from the forums, or I could kick it off first, whichever. Yeah. You know what? Actually, I'll go first just in case if you picked one of the ones I got. So okay. This is like, I'm going I'm to seize the initiative. Nice. So I'll, I'm just kind of starting from the top. There's a couple of I spotted, and I have my iPad open here. I just kind of, this is the, for, the the one I had flagged that I ended up with, and there's a couple others if we want to go into a few. But uh, Blake Ryan, if I'm getting the username right, yep. had an idea for a limestone caverns that were like a two to four uh, feet of water. And what I like about that is this idea that you have a, you have a dungeon level that has a really distinct geographic element to it. You know, the um, he has this idea, you know, how, how would you learn of it? You know, and his examples are you, you could fall through a chute into the water. You could get sucked in, into a whirlpool in the ocean. Now, I was an Ultima, Ultima player back in the day, so I always liked oh. the idea of the whirlpool yep. taking the underworld. But it's also a really fun way to make your dungeon relevant, even if the players, like maybe they visit the dungeon and then go off on some other side quest, they could still get pulled back into it. And maybe in a way that's really unexpected for them. And so, and I also really like the idea of uh, his treasure was a pearl of wisdom. Like, you know, what is it that sort of ties it together? Which I think he kind of interpreted as like, you know, what's the thing, the quest? And this idea of a pearl of wisdom that lets people know the moment of their greatest triumph or death. And I think that's pretty cool because first you've got the water thing going. You can imagine there's some sort of clam that's going to actually create the Pearl of Wisdom. Mm -hmm. So that kind of inspired me. That's a lot of ways you could do it. And I always always like treasures that are more, rather than like a power-up, are like a piece of information you need. Especially something that a DM can then like introduce something really interesting, you know, as far as the story. And then he also talked about there's this Koatoa, so that's awesome. I always like Koatoa because they're one of my favorite monsters of all time because they're just so delightfully crazy. So yeah. Wow, I like that one. I like that one a lot. So then we'll toss it back and forth. And I also love the play on Pearl of Wisdom. That was not lost on me. Not at all. <laughs> so the other one that I'll throw out there that kind of ties into that idea of like really interesting settings, because I think that's a really key component to your Mega Mega Dungeon. If it's just cavern after cavern after cavern, then it's going to feel that way. So the interesting one that Rorik brought up was that it's a special type of vine that grows and it's actually called the creeping sun where essentially it's a type of vine that uses geothermal heat and the consumption of stone in lieu of sun and water 
And so then it can thrive on that and it actually creates these small biomes inside of the dungeon. So instead of just walking into another cavern where it's just, again, like I said, stalagmites, stalactites, here we go. It's whatever biome that you want it to be. And you can also change it up because he baked in the idea that based on what it consumes is what it creates. So something you can mix up based on the type of rock that it's eating, if you will, to create a different type of room. Yeah, I know. I, I like that one because it took something that is normally just a really background element that if a DM is talking about it, it might just be fussy detail you don't care about, you know, like what kind of rock strata you're in and stuff, mm-hmm. and actually made that an interesting part of the dungeon. Yeah. You know, And I think that's really nifty because it takes some of those things where I always like, you know, campaign building where you could do some like sort of like like research online or whatever, like, you know, in terms of the science of, say, like caves and stuff, and then translate that into something that's a bit more fantastical rather than just sort of showing off like, oh, I did some research and here's what this would really be like. To me, that's like halfway there. The other yeah. half is something like this where it's like, okay, and here's this, I, and I love the idea of the vine-like entity, right? Like it explains so much of how the dungeon forms and then it can combine with that kind of research to make something that's really memorable and interesting. Yeah, I I just really like I really like that one because it's just like my mind gets lost of like okay what if it ate this what if yeah. it ate this oh but then we're in this magical world so then like what if it found this and then what does that mean yeah like what what happens when it hits a vein of mithril and yeah then, exactly like, pff, yeah my brain <laughs> cool so did you have another one you wanted to toss out yeah there was actually along those lines there was you know I can't find it now but there was let's see. I might be late on. There was someone who talked about. Uh, actually, this is kind of a fun idea for a monster. The idea of the the dire rust monster. Oh, what good! Was I was totally one of talking to you about that one. Um, so that is from DM Caleb. Oh, you know I, that's funny. I had one. I had. I was like right there, and I just whoop, totally looked right by it. So what I liked about it was this idea that you could take a monster that a lot of people think of as almost a joke. You know, like oh, it's a, it's the rust monster. Everyone kind of knows how to deal with it, and then give it a more sinister feel and make it make it fresh and interesting again for especially for experienced players and i think that's always a really fun thing to do like i mean that that's a really good way to keep the game interesting but still tap into something that players kind of know so you're not giving them a lot of exposition or you're not worried about like is this going to resonate with my group or not like you know something like a rust monster they already that already has traction you know with D players so that's why i i really liked about that idea because i think it, it really was, it was a nice fresh twist on it yeah and i think that's my they exactly kind of what i was thinking was like oh okay kind of a known quantity because you know especially you know in the example like my players a couple of them brought me in at second edition and they were playing before that so a rust monster isn't this thing that's like oh no but then all of a sudden it is the thing that is oh no because your magical weapon went away and now hopefully they have their brown pants on yeah so I think that that's, yeah, that one's super good. Uh, the other one that I wanted to highlight and point out is actually the very last one from IB Plundering. And their stuff is always good. They really do a great job of formatting things, very similar to like how the official looks, you know, through home brewery and all those things. And they did not follow my prompt, not at all, <laughs> which is always, which is totally okay. And they actually created a 25 page document for the Caverns of Adamant Death. Wow. And so it has both a like a magic section, important people section, bestiary, and kind of a synopsis of how to run the Caverns of Adamant Death. So definitely go check that out. I'll link that in the show notes because it is over the top and then some. Because he, he also uses the, some of the stuff that on our Twitter account we have daily DMnastics where essentially it's just very small prompts if people want to do stuff through the week. And he used a lot of those that he had already done to filter in and combine them all in this document for the Caverns of Adamant Death. 
Cool. So yeah, definitely check that out. But now that we've got that out of the way, we're going to head to my favorite part and we're going to start lifting the mental weights right now. Nice. I could use a little workout. Lifting weights is what I do. Look at me. Lift these weights. Yes. I'm, in, I'm intimidated by the, <laughs> by the power of your mind. So we'll see what I can do. So essentially, the prompt was, you know, think about a ca- an encounter, a level, a monster, any th- piece of treasure. Essentially, it was a very open prompt of everything in the kitchen sink is available to toss in here. So we can come up with great ideas we've used in our own games or just ideas we have kicking around that we'd love to hear other people use. I can start it off. You can start it off, whichever. Sure. You know, so I came armed with an idea because I did see the show outline before I came, before Perfect. we started. So, you know, it's funny. Last night I was I was rooting through my iPad uh, that I kind of use when I go to conventions, you know, for like ebooks and stuff. And I came across some old notes. I'm cheating a little bit because I found some old notes in a oh, campaign perfect. I ran years ago. But um, <laughs> one of the characters, their background was they'd found this forbidden book and that kind of got them kicked out of this holy order they were in. And the book started talking to them and it kind of set them down the path of becoming a warlock. And so I want to do a riff on that. I always like the idea. I always like the idea of the evil book because of evil De- the Evil Dead series, you know, the Necronomicon, that stuff. Yep. And then of course, you know, Lovecraft and all that. But I like, I was thinking about it in terms of a dungeon. I thought, wouldn't it be kind of interesting if instead of finding the full evil book, you found one page from it? Ooh. And that one page essentially became like this weird interactive kind of treasure map of the book trying to lure you into finding its other pages and reassembling it. So it, it could kind of like, you know, you could imagine like the runes on it shift and it could show you a map. It could like maybe give you a spell that you need to get out of trouble. I And this is kind of my soft spot. I love magic items that are kind of instant win play buttons for players, hmm. but come at a big price. Like there's a real story price to be paid. Yeah. So like in my own my, my campaign, there's a sword the players have called the Collector of Deaths that if whoever's wielding it gets struck would be dropped to zero hit points. Instead, the sword blocks the attack, but there are nine gems on the sword, and each time this has happened, one of the gems has changed color. And the players realize, like, soon all nine gems will be this one that will turn red. And they know it's called the Collector of Debts, and they're not sure what actually is going to happen when the ninth gem turns. <laughs> so that's the kind of stuff I like. So what I imagine is you might have this page. It might be aimed at a warlock or a sorcerer, or another spellcaster type character, or like maybe an occultist if you're playing like a modern, you know, a pulp style game. And it might kind of offer them like, oh, you're you're surrounded by ghouls. Well, you see the page, the runes turn and change, and you see it's offering you like a spell of ghoul destruction. Like, oh, this is perfect. But like. What happens when I use this? Am I like getting further tied to the book? And then what is this book actually going to say when I reassemble it? If I actually want to reassemble it, but maybe now I have to, you know, like I can imagine maybe it steals part of your soul, right? When when you read from it or use its power, things like that. Oh, it's so good. And I also like, especially with the book idea, because it leaves it open to continue to mold and shift and shape into whatever story you want to tell, because it's not rigid. And because yeah. you've essentially built in the component of it shifting and moving around, you know, the next page can have whatever you want it to be and work completely with your story. So I really like that one. Cool. Thank you. So I have one that's not very nice, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll start We'll start there. And I forget who gave this one to me. So I apologize for not giving credit where credit is due. But you know, they go – your players get into this room and there's – classic treasure chest on a pedestal they go they touch it the room locks and it fills with oil and dropping down from the ceiling is a torch and so now they're trying to figure out what to do what to do what to do 
Well, the kicker is it's actually just an ever-burning torch. And so there's actually no threat of it setting the oil on fire. What's most likely going to happen is that your players attempting to do something <laughs> will set the oil on fire. So theoretically, if they just waited, it would just go into the oil and then go back up at the end. <laughs> I like that because especially the groups I've DM'd over the years, they would definitely set that oil on fire. Someone would figure out some way to do it. Yep. And so I, I really like going because in theory, the, the best thing that they could do is just sit there. Yeah. And it will go down, come back up, they can get the treasure, they're good to go. But the likelihood of that happening is very, very <laughs> slim. DD players like to break things. Like yeah. that's just what I've learned over the years. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I'm just envisioning my players dealing with that as well. And it is it is as entertaining. So I'm trying to think of some other things that we can kick around. So another thing, and I think it's like you said, taking classic monsters and shifting them and changing them into something new and exciting. Okay. So this is another one that I use, and I may have mentioned it on the podcast before, but I think one of the really interesting things, especially when you're in this mega dungeon, is to essentially use the third dimension. Yes. Yeah. And what I, and what I mean yeah, what I mean by that is you know, you're looking at a battle map or you're, going, you're even thinking because the battle maps and minis are so prevalent in a two-dimensional plane. So another one that's not very nice is if you have a pit trap, but then from the ceiling drops a gelatinous cube. <laughs> that's always fun. <laughs> yeah, it fits into the pit trap. So that you know, and that's another one. But adding that third dimension, especially also going into these caverns, you know, if you had the um, creeping sun, what lives above it? You know, oh, yeah. Because you yeah. could have this canopy and then what flora and fauna actually exist in there. Yeah, is there something that's drawing it? I mean, the, the great thing about that idea, too, is the dungeon's going to change because you could imagine as that vine grows, it's going mm -hmm. to open up new passages. It could open up into new caverns. It could tunnel into like, a dragon's lair. And then what does that mean for the dungeon? And I, I really like dynamic elements like that in dungeons. To me, that especially, like you mentioned before the book, you know, you could kind of change it. I think as a DM, it's always useful to try to f like frame things in a way that you can be flexible with them rather than be like, okay, this is what it is and it's rigid. You know, I, it's, it's almost like uh, rather than thinking of everything as a closed system, where, like you've mapped everything out and that's just, it's all static, the more you can make it an open system, even just something simple as, as a passage to the Underdark. So as the campaign shifts, you can explain, or like a lot of DMs, if you have sort of creative, short attention span creativity, I think a lot of DMs have that, where, mm -hmm. oh, this week I really, I'm obsessed with Gizzerai, how can I fit them into my campaign? You know, yep. that kind of thing. It gives you those excuses to like, oh, they came up from the Underdark or something like that, you know, like they were trapped there hunting a, a mind flayer or something like that. And, and they're seeking to get back home, you know, whatever the storyline is. And I also really like, and I get, you know, and I think this goes back to my first statement where you're making mega dungeons, like you need to really mix it up. And yeah. that may be stepping into a place that you, your players have just never stepped into. Because one of the other ideas was having a spaceship having crashed like millennia ago yep. into the dungeon and then the dungeon's grown around it. And so now you have this completely, I mean, very foreign element that you've introduced into the dungeon and who, who still lives on the spaceship, what can the players find or in what crazy technology do they have to deal with? I think is another really good way to mix up the dungeon. Yeah, that's fun because it's a nice reveal. You could imagine you might find some hints of what's deeper in the dungeon or it's at the center. You might find like a pass card. You're not really sure what to do with it, but you keep it. Or maybe you sell it, and then when you realize you need it, you have to try to figure out oh. what happened when you sold it. <laughs> and that's always fun. <laughs> so I'm trying to think of another another thing. And I, I don't know that I've done this much myself, so I, I think I'll toss this your way. But what are some good ideas to like have a place to rest? 
because it's another key component of a mecha mecha dungeon is if you don't ever afford your players that it's a mecha mecha dungeon till they're dead yeah so I always like the idea of finding, you know, of categorizing areas of the dungeon or factions in the dungeon by if they're hostile, could they be friendly, are they more mercenary. I ran a campaign that had uh, Undermountain as one part of it. And nice. so I built basically Goblin Town. Um, if you can imagine, remember Goblin Town like from the, from the Hobbit? You know, yeah. And kind of through the movies, the movies like, uh, you know, they said it's this big borough. And I kind of positioned the goblins as a neutral party. Like they were like the merchants and traders in the dungeon. Mm-hmm. A lot of them were trapped in there or they'd escape from serving other powerful monsters. So as long as the players are diplomatic about it, they could essentially stay at the goblin inn, you know, things like that. Now, the challenge was you wouldn't want to, like, if you brought trouble to Goblin Town, then they, they might kick you out, you know, yeah. or they might attack you, you know, things like that. If a if a purple worm is chasing you, you know, you just can't, <laughs> you can't, it's not safe, you can't just run into Goblin Town and you're safe, like, it's going to follow you in, you know, or even things like Skullport, um, oh, on perfect. a lower level of the dungeon. Yep. You know, I, I like those, those opportunities it gives you to have a fun role-playing element, too, with what with might normally be a monster, like maybe a mind flare that's broken free of the elder brain that would normally control it. You know, mm-hmm. like, you know, and that, that's like a classic D&D thing that showed up in a few places, you know, and I, so I think that's a fun way because it lets you be a little more flexible with your monsters and it forces you to think of beyond just combat within the dungeon. You know, there are creatures here that are like, if you start attacking them, you might make everyone in the dungeon mad at you, you know, because it's like, that's the guy who fixes our shoes and you beat him up, right? Like, yeah, he's just no, like, some you cobble. murdered the cobbler. How dare yeah. you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. It's, but just little things like that, where you kind of think of it as a, uh, like when the old keep on the borderlands adventure had kind of sketched out this idea that there were different alliances between the monster factions. Mm-hmm. I'm running that right now, actually, for the, the creative team on D&D. And it's been interesting. You know, the players kind of tried to ally with the kobolds, and now the kobolds sent them, well, if you want to be our friends, prove it by going and killing the goblin leader, mm-hmm. you know, things yep. like that. And so it, it adds that layer of role-playing, I think, that is easy to lose sight of when you're in a dungeon. A lot of players will just default to, oh, it's a dungeon, let's just fight everything. Yeah. But uh, I think that is a that's a way for dungeons to get boring, you know, yeah. especially over multiple sessions of a campaign. Definitely. And I immediately thought about combining the Creeping Sun with an NPC, kind of like you had mentioned. And I thought it would be super interesting to have that mind flayer that's broken away from the Elder Brain. And who knows what their psyche is now, especially with that removal, but then living in this biome and it being somewhat of a sanctuary because now you essentially have a mind flayer that's protecting it. Yeah. And I think it would be a great way in a place that they could come back, back and forth to. Yeah. And there's then that element of trust. Like, can you ever really fully trust a mind flayer, even if he swears that he's been reformed? <laughs> I, I go with a strong maybe. <laughs> at, at best. <laughs> Trying to think of whatever, what other things that I've thrown at my players. Because, I, I mean, that's one, one of the bigger things is that between levels in the dungeon, there's full, you can do whatever you guys want. Literally anything you guys want to do for downtime, I will help facilitate that because if you just go to the next level, then that's also what I'm doing is the DM. So that's not, that's potentially not fun for either of us. So there was one fun big dungeon I ran. It wasn't a mega dungeon per se, but it was like nine levels down, but each level wasn't very large um, because I had to build it all at once because the way I set the dungeon up was when you first entered it. You had to get through like this weird maze of illusions to get actually get to the dungeon. It was like this old wizard's enclave. And the idea was that like the first floor was like where the guards and servants lived, and the second floor was like the kitchens and storage. Then the other seven floors, each floor was the lair of a different wizard who specialized in a different school of magic. That's awesome. But then the fun thing was when you entered the dungeon, uh, there was a shaft that went straight down that gave you access to all all the levels. 
The trick was only levels one and two had stairs because the wizards would use magic to move oh. between the other levels. Mm-hmm. But it was fun because it gave the players an immediate like, well, which level do we want to go to, right? And then it also made moving between the levels tricky because that shaft was suffused with different different magical effects and things like that. So you, it wasn't just as simple as climbing down, you know, and things like that. You had to kind of deal with like the winds of magic and stuff like that. And that was a lot of fun. Oh, I just envisioned, you know, immediately the cool things you could do with that shaft and the different schools of magic. And I just, just imme- I don't know. I'm in a dark place with the diarrest monster and <laughs> dropping gelatinous cubes on people, but it's the necromancy one and just like stuff coming out of the walls and like yeah. trying to figure out how to climb through it while not essentially dying. And exactly. Yourself. Yeah. And it was fun too, because I tried to have the personalities of each wizard come through. The wizards are all long gone, but there was one wizard, the, um, Evoker. Uh, I think I kind of cast him as a pyromancer in the adventure, mm-hmm. who was actually, his ghost was still there. Uh, he had died. He, he, had blown, he had blown himself up. So he was still obsessive okay. with trying to create like this master, like this ultimate fire, you know, things like that. So on some levels, you could actually meet the wizard and other ones, like it would just be like, there was one level where it was a, the transmuter. So these creatures he had made, there were these immortal creatures. Uh, he was trying to figure out a way to, to live forever without becoming a lich. So he made these creatures, they were immortal, and then he got bored with them. And just left them. Huh. And and they couldn't get out because they didn't have the yeah. magic to, to, to traverse the shaft. So they was just they were just stuck there, you know. So it was more like this weird like role play, you know, scenario, these bizarre like half man, half rat creatures that you know, this oh, wow. weird religion they had centered on the wizard who had left and all this stuff, and the players coming back were like the prophets. No because the idea was the illusion that hid the the the, the, the enclave, the, the players, the characters the first people to, to return there since the wizards left. Okay. So that was kind of a fun element of it, too. That immediately made me think of having some of them most likely dead at the bottom of the shaft. And then, like, would the players get there first before getting to the level that had them? And, like, all the, like, assumptions that they're going to make with that. Yeah. So good. With that, though, I think we've done it. I think we've definitely lifted the mental weights and given a ton of great – we'll think they're great ideas as DMs. Your players may disagree, but a lot of fuel for your mega, mega dungeon. But the best question I have is where can people go to find you, and do you have anything interesting to tell the listeners? So to find me, I'm on Twitter. That's my social network of choice. There I'm just Mike Merles, just one word, M-I-K-E-M-E-A-R-L-S. And uh, our big projects for D&D, we've got uh, Xanathar's Guide to Everything coming out in November. That's our next big mechanical expansion. It's got new subclasses for every class in D&D. Uh, and it's also got, I mean, we kind of thought of this as like, 5th edition's been out now for uh, about three years now. And we've learned a lot about the game by playing it, by listening to feedback. So not only does it have character options, but it also has DM options for some new subsystems to add to the game to smooth over maybe areas where the, uh, that DMs have told us they want more help, they want more options. Um, and also that's against the backdrop of uh, Tomb of Annihilation, our Tomb yeah. of Horrors-themed dungeon set in the sinister jungles of Chult. And then the other exciting thing we've got going is uh, dndbeyond.com uh, has launched, or probably will have launched by the time you heard this, uh, and that's a set of uh, online D&D tools, a character builder, a campaign manager from our friends at Curse Media. So very excited about that. Like it, It's been really fun seeing people really take 5th edition D&D and run with it, and every year seeing, you know, being able to really work with the community to keep things interesting, keep things exciting, always trying new things, and you know, trying to be being experimental. 
Definitely. So two things with that. One is you have the DMs Guild Adept that are out, and they've made special things for the Tomb of Annihilation. If you guys didn't already know about that, check that out. I say that because James and Tricasso and I are good friends, and he is one of those adept. Also, head to your friendly local gaming store if you want that sweet, sweet alternate cover like I will own. So for Xanathar's Guide to Everything. Yes. I make sure they get me a copy or I will be frustrated <laughs> and I will tell lots of, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and I will use this podcast as a platform to, no, I'm just totally kidding. So if you wanted to get a hold of us and tell us about your great ideas, you can always email us at dmnastics at gmail.com or head over and follow us at, on, not at Twitter, on Twitter at dmnastics if you want to catch our daily dmnastics. And for everything else on our network, you can have a, head over to blockpartypodcastnetwork.com. Light bulb. So on today's light bulb, I have something that's a little bit different that I wanted to share with you and everybody listening. So for those that enjoy video games, there is a PC game that came out just this last week called Divinity Original Sin 2. Uh, it's made by Larian Studios, and I've played the ori- the first original, the original Original Sin, <laughs> oh, no. uh, and it was it was quite good. Uh, it had a very D and D three point five kind of combat to it, but it's very smart, like cool systems that interplayed well together. Like if there's water on the ground, you can cast lightning on it to create electricity and do double damage to enemies or stuff like that. Very neat. In this game, however, they really went above and beyond to try to capture that D&D old school feel by incorporating a full on like game master mode into the game. And in that mode, you can have somebody basically customize entire levels, entire worlds, create NPCs, create dialogue for whenever your players like interact with it. And this can happen in real time. So a game master can be running a game kind of behind the scenes while players in this video game, and it's very small, maybe like four other players. So don't think of it like a big World of Warcraft type thing, but like a small party uh, can be off doing an adventure that you've kind of set up for them, and you can pause the action. You can, you know, literally pause the game and require that they roll dice, you know, and and it'll do like random dice rolling, and uh, then you can describe what they see and what happens, and then you can, you know, add things that happen, you know, based on their dice rolling. So it's like, oh, you know, I I wanted a perception check and nobody succeeded. So I'm going to do like an ambush here. So I'm going to drop in some monsters, whatever. And then they have to deal with it. Like in this video game, it's very mind blowing that this is a thing now that we can experience and have for ourselves. Like, I feel like this is too good for this world. Uh, So (laughs) that is that is my favorite thing right now. Yeah, and it's super good. And it harkens back to, I mean, my original example was going to be mentioning that Neverwinter Nights, You, the mm-hmm. editor for that was very robust. And some of the things that the community developed were staggering how accurate they were to building old modules in the video game world. Right. But, but that was basically just like a level editor, essentially, where people created a thing and you could play it, but there was yeah. no like active GM controlling things. Exactly. I mean, but if you want to throw it even farther back, I mean, games before then had level editors and building stuff. And I remember Morgan Jenkins talking about building levels for either Warcraft 2 or Starcraft. And Mm. then because his computer was too crappy to run the game, but he could run the level editor and then he would send (laughs) them to his friends to play. That's amazing. 
this isn't the first time that kind of the active DM GM has been used, but it definitely feels like it's getting a lot better. Well, in a, in a big budget, like very modern RPG too, that's just, it's very weird because th- typically those types of systems and things like require a very high level of programming understanding, you know, mm-hmm. uh, but by kind of making it simple and basically giving the tools that they use to make, you know, things in the game and say, here, you know, have at it like you can do this. Like we've done all the programming for you. The tools are here. Just kind of make what you want like that. That allows a lot of freedom and creativity that people can kind of do in a in a video game setting and not necessarily just a tabletop one. Yeah, definitely. And there's a lot of things that you could do to mix it in to the game that you're already having. Or it could be a great way to have the people that only play video games. I'm not going to go sit at your table. I'm not going to roll this dice. I'm not going to write things on a character sheet. This could be a great way for you to build something as an introduction to what D&D could be for them. Got to bridge the gap. Cross the fjord. <laughs> Don't cross the streams. <laughs> so yes, Divinity Original Sin 2. That is uh, something worth checking out. Yep. And definitely always keep your eyes out for games that are trying this because this kind of technology is only going to get better with time, just like we do. (laughs) Oh, or not. You might get really tired of us. But either way, we are going to. But with all that, we're going to go ahead and turn out the lights and head out of the gym. But above all that, I want to implore you, the listener, to join our forums and take part in all of these awesome exercises and conversations that are being had. To do that, head over to dungeonmasterblock.freeforms.net and try some DMnastics so your players don't ask, do you even lift? Can I trust you? Add your own cardio. Yeah, no, don't put me down for cardio. What are you doing? Horizontal running.